0: Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 120. In this episode, we're talking about the invisibility of Asian American women with Dr. Grace Jisun Kim. Dr. Kim is professor of theology at Earlham School of Religion and the author of Invisible, Theology and Experience of Asian American Women. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Jennifer Guo and myself, Dr. Grace Sangalang Ying. This was such a great conversation with Dr. Kim. I really resonated with a lot of things that she shared. Jennifer, what are your thoughts?
1: I am not sure, actually, if I have coherent thoughts. And I'm definitely going to listen to this podcast once it airs because for most of the conversation, I was just so emotional. I don't know if you could see, Grace, but I was like tearing up. Yeah, so I guess I was just kind of lost in the experience of hearing Dr. Kim speak as that, an Asian American female theologian who's kind of been like pioneering in a sense and just a model and an example. And so I was kind of kind of lost in the emotion of that for much of our conversation.
0: I loved what you shared, Jennifer. Um, just thank you so much for your honesty in sharing about how talking with Dr. Kim was so encouraging for you. And yeah, for me too, I think I really just appreciated who she is and how uh, what she writes comes out of her own experience. Um, that's so relatable for so many Asian American women, especially who have been in theological studies and in that sphere. And I felt like she really brought the fire, you know, in talking about how to make our experiences, um, both our lived experiences and our culture visible, even in the margins, how that can be a creative space. I think that was so encouraging because I think sometimes, you know, when we um, talk about these issues and see the ways that we have been, you know, have this like double marginalization, both in the white evangelical church, but also in our Asian American churches, like as women were also marginalized, it can be just really discouraging. And so I think just the fact that she brings this perspective of finding strength and creativity, and how we have a lot to offer as Asian American women, I think was really, really encouraging to hear.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed that part a lot as well. I feel like this whole episode and everything that she said was just so good. But I also appreciated how she talked about uh, the history of the model minority myth and how it's actually not a positive thing. Because I think sometimes when we do share about our experiences of racism, we might get comments that are kind of like either, oh, that's not racism, like Dr. Kim was saying or we might get like the model minority type of stuff, like, oh, you guys are so wealthy, you're so successful, like, where's the racism? And I appreciated how she kind of talked about a little bit of the history of that and how the roots were racist themselves and designed to pit um, Asian Americans against other minorities and how that is simply false because our experiences are not homogenous and there are plenty of Asian Americans who are in poverty. We don't all go to Ivy League schools. And yeah, and especially how that was, that had a racist origin that was kind of created to pit other, I think, minorities against Asian Americans.
0: Totally. I think she gave a good like overview of that history of discrimination and how that affects um, our Asian American communities. And yeah, she, she goes even in more detail in her book yeah i think there were some times where i was like i had to put her book down because it was pretty heavy and yeah i just needed to take some moments but yeah i really loved our conversation with her and we're really excited for you all to listen to it and with that here's our conversation with dr kim Hi, Dr. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you, um, especially in light of uh, May, which is AAPI Heritage Month. So thanks again for
2: joining us. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's such a joy to be with you all. And I'm just really excited that we can do something for AAPI Heritage Month for May. And so I'm, I'm excited to share about my book, Invisible.
0: Yeah, so can you tell us some of the story behind your book and how you started writing
2: it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is actually my 20th book, and every book starts out differently. And for this one, I've been wanting to share my story. So I kind of started off wanting to write like a memoir, and then the publisher, um, Fortress Press, thought it's better to have it more academic so it can be used in the classroom. So it's not the book that I had hoped. to write at the beginning, but this is fine. I think, you know, being academic, it's really hard to cross over into the non-academic publishing world. So um, this was kind of my attempt and I wrote a lot of stories, my personal stories of racism and sexism, particularly in the church. So that's how I began and, um, you know, even though it's not what I expected. I'm really, really happy with the book. Uh, And, you know, those who are listening, you can't see the book. But anyway, it feels really good, too. Like the textile, like everything just feels good. I love the cover. So I'm really happy, not just the physical part, but the content wise, you know, I'm really happy with the end result so that's how it began and this is the result and maybe one day i will write the one that i was hoping to write but until then i'm very happy with the final results of this book
1: dr kim i love the stories that you share in your book and there's one that particularly resonates with me in my current phase as a new testament phd student at a pwi um And that was your story from your first year of PhD studies in systematic theology at the University of Toronto, where you talk about this group of Asian male students who said, thank God, another Asian, and it caused you to feel lumped in and your individuality, particularly as an Asian woman, it felt erased. And you wrote a lot about being um, acknowledged only to be tokenized and sort of the tension of that. And... I was wondering what advice you would share with Asian American women who are just getting started on this track that you've been on for a long time, whether we're graduate students in theology or early career scholars, how do we navigate that tension between um, feeling a responsibility to express a particularly Asian American female voice and Also feeling like it's not something we should have to express all the time.
2: Yeah, I love your question. And, you know, it's an appropriate question because you are a PhD student. So that story is about um, 24 years old because this book um, came out in 2021. And that was like the 20th book and it was the 20th anniversary of my PhD graduation. So um, that the occurrence was about 24 years old, but I feel like in the last 20, 25 years, not much has changed as I had hoped it to change. And so I see young Asian-American women students and early career having a really hard time too. And my hope back then, because there were just so few Asian-American women. I think I was like the first Asian-American woman from um, University of Toronto with a theology PhD degree. There were just so many. I had a lot of Korean um Male students. They were particularly visa students from Korea doing their PhD in theology. So I had a a large, like maybe 15 of us. And then I was the only Asian American woman. So it was really, really difficult. For me, um, being a woman, and I could have included a lot more stories, but maybe I will put that in the next time, but it was truly, truly difficult because of sexism and patriarchy that exists in the wider society, but then also within our smaller Asian American community. And I think that's really hard for non Asian Americans to understand the different dynamics like we live in this subculture and there is just so much embedded sexism and patriarchy that we have to navigate both of these kind of cultures, and it was really, really hard. And for the white society to lump us all together as if we are all the same—we're not. You know, I was um, just married when I started my PhD, and the expectation of having a child was enormous pressure on me from everyone, from, you know, the in-laws to strangers (laughs) to male classmates, all of them just saying, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be having a child. So the pressure is there. So the advice I would give for young Asian American women students is just hang in there. And you are where you are supposed to be. And there are networks out there. Back then there were fewer, but today there are more networks. There are mentors who are willing to mentor you. So, and there's a lot more literature out there um, to help you in whatever area that you are in, in education or New Testament or or theology. But there is more, um, written literature out there so hopefully all of this will be more helpful for you but I know at the same time it's a very isolating you know you feel kind of lost in this area and you are one of the few but hang in there and I know once you finish and you are doing you are in your early career that you are going to make huge contributions because we need your voice. So uh, whatever hardships that you are facing, and it's daily, I face them daily in my program. So whatever you are facing, you know, we need to celebrate who you are. And we just need more of you, more voices. I think there are enough male voices that we need way more women's voices and particularly young women's voices so hang in there and you have a lot of encouragement from older people like me i never thought i'd be the older one but now i feel i am the older one so just continue on and do what you are doing that's my uh little word of wisdom for you all
0: Oh, well, thanks so much dr kim um yeah for our listeners i just wanted to mention that uh Dr. Kim and Jen had like their heart, heart formations in their fingers. So we are so appreciative of just your encouragement to us and uh, just for who you are um, and being in the theological space um, as an Asian American woman is uh, just an encouragement. So thank you just so much for um, who you are and your presence. Um, well, thank and, you so much. Yeah. And Um, In your book, you talk about um, finding strength, like, in the margins and in that, like, liminal space. Um, What are some ways that Asian American women can find strength and freedom in the margins?
2: Yeah, so, you know, being a racialized minority, you know, we're not born as a minority per se. These are all these terms that are kind of given to us. So, when we think about Asian Americans, Asians in the global, worldwide population, we are 60% of the world. You know, we are the majority. But whether you have come to North America as immigrants or children of immigrants, you know, we are racially uh minoritized and in that way you know we are pushed to the margins we will never be an american or a canadian because we look different you know when we think about immigration history and you know when i think about europeans who may have come to north america like two months ago they are american all of a sudden while as we who look different we who are racially minoritized are these perpetual foreigners? So it doesn't matter if you've been here five, six, seven generations. We are going to be these perpetual foreigners. So we are always pushed to the margins. We are never considered an American or a Canadian. You know how many times have we been told, you know, or asked where are you, where are you from, or go back home. You know, these are all these phrases that are used to put us in our place, that we are never going to be the majority. We're always going to be the racially minoritized. So, you know, in this perpetual space of marginalization, in this liminal space, we exist there. And I feel like, you know, we can stay there and say, okay, that's it. You know, we are forever going to be in this space and live as marginal people, or we can think of this place as a creative place. So for me, it has been a very creative place. I've been able to kind of use Asian um, heritage, Asian words, Asian concepts, Asian religion, to help us articulate a theology Um, and it's not you know many of us are then pushed as oh you're just an asian american theologian or you're just an asian american woman theologian but my theology i'm hoping that it speaks for all people that it will help you know reach it's you know because when i think of the history of asian or theology when it was really big in Germany, they used German words and concepts, which are like the norm now within theology, as if they have always been, you know, part of this white dominant theology. But that's not true. And when we think of these other age, of these other um, pagan practices which were in europe you know they all got syncretized into this white kind of theology as if that is the theology for all time So I want to say people have been doing this from their own context and their own languages. And it's now time for Asian Americans, men and women, to do the same. So in this liminal space, in the marginalized spaces that the white dominant society has pushed us, I feel we can be creative. We can do what we have been called to do. And so even in the book, you know, I end with the theology of visibility. Yeah, I use all Asian terms and concepts to to formulate this. And, you know, the book has been out for a few months and non-Asian friends have been very supportive and they think this is An amazing way to do theology. So I think in the margins, you know, God uses us. When we think of, you know, scripturally, you know, there are foreign women. There have been foreigners in scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And God uses them in so many ways. You know, the lineage of Jesus came from a woman, a foreign woman, Hagar. Uh, Or Rahab, sorry, from Rahab. And so it is interesting how God uses foreigners, and these are people who are pushed in the margins, and God continues to use us who have been pushed to the margins. So I feel like this liminal space, this marginalized space, we're not going to say and just give up in these spaces, but We live in these spaces, and we are going to be creative. We are going to voice our voices, and so that the dominant white community, white-dominant society will listen and be challenged and be changed by us. You already kind of
1: got into this, but I'm curious, what are some specific things that you hope to see in the next generation of up-and-coming Asian American female theologians? Are there things that you hope that will carry on, new things
2: that you hope that will do? I hope that there'll be more and more in numbers. Uh, I know uh, maybe the second and third, I don't know, wave or the generation of Asian American theologians, they may not be so much encouraged by their family, to go into a field that doesn't pay you well, and where it is going to be a difficult road. There are not that many jobs out there for PhD students, whether you are a woman or or a man. It's just a very difficult field. But I, I think there's a lot of hope, because there is only so much that I can do to break barriers. But once the barriers are broken the younger generation of women can do even more creative things i you know i expect or i'm hoping that there will be this refreshing voice in the theological world wherever whatever your area of study is that will really impact and challenge the white normative norm uh, you know, there, a lot needs to be done. You know, the Christianity has been so white. So in the last few months, I've been working on this and thinking about this more and more, and maybe it will turn into a book. Uh, but and I touch it in, in all my previous books about how Christianity is so white. And You know, I also have my own podcast too called Madang Podcast. And, you know, my episode 16 is with Dr. Mitri Rahab, who is a Palestinian theologian. And he wrote a book, um, The Politics of Persecution, and kind of reinforcing who Jesus is. And Jesus, you know, born in Palestine, like he wasn't this white male that Christians have made him into. He was a darker skin, probably olive and uh, Palestinian. So he's not this white European that white European male theologians have turned him into. So I really want more scholarship on decentering this whiteness that I attempt to do in so many books, and it's really hard and really challenging this white Christianity. Because this white Christianity has been very, very destructive and reinforces racism and xenophobia and sexism because all of these isms are intersectional. And I write that. I co-wrote that in my book, Intersectional Theology. So there's a lot of hope. I hope that the younger um, generation of uh, theologians will continue to challenge the white Christianity and the white Jesus that is so perpetuated in our books, in our music, in our art, like stained glass window and paintings and pictures. You know, when we see all that, it reinforces this white patriarchy this white um Jesus which is not true so we have to dismantle it and and portray this um Dr. Mitri Rahab was using the term um and I can't remember I have to go back to my notes but he really didn't like to use Middle East term um but west of Asia or east of. So I thought that was a really interesting term, west of Asia term. But anyway, I just hope that the younger uh, and the really young uh, um, scholars today will continue to work together in dismantling because when there's only a few voices that are dismantling, nobody wants to hear us. But when there's more and more, I think that will really challenge this whiteness of Christianity, whiteness of God. I kind of centered on Jesus, but this whiteness of God, everybody believes God is white. And that has been so problematic. And that's why so many of my books are talking about spirit God to move away from this white God. You know, we have uh, white pictures of Jesus, but we don't really have white pictures as many of God because we're so f- afraid of, um, you know, creating God in our image, but people have done it anyway. Like Angelo and other artists have done it, but, you know, we really need to challenge this. And so part of my work to move away from the whiteness is using spirit language and addressing God as spirit so we will move away from this male white image of God.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Dr. Kim. I think that was super helpful to hear uh, your perspective on how to de decenter white patriarchal theology and that white image of God. Um, I think that's really helpful to hear. And uh, just to follow up with that, how does intersectionality help with creating a theology of visibility?
2: Yeah, so um, I bring in, you know, I, most scholars, we build up on our past work. So I continue to do that all the time. I don't just throw it away, although sometimes I can't remember a lot of the things that I've written. But, you know, you build up on your work. So a few years ago, I co-wrote a book with Dr. Susan Shaw, who teaches at Oregon State University called Intersectional Theology. I think, uh, you know, intersectionality has been used a lot by other scholars in different disciplines, but we may be the first one to kind of bring it into theology. So it was very exciting because we really thought it's an important term within theology. So, you know, all of us, as human beings are not just one dimensional. There are so many aspects to who we are. So, an example would be I am a middle aged, heterosexual woman, um, educated, um, Korean American, Asian American. So, they are these intersectional identities and we should be aware of our own selves, our gender identity, our uh, our sexual identity, um, our racial identity, our ethnicity. Those are all things that make us who we are. And when we think about intersectionality, there are all these intersectional forms of oppression. So, you know, because I am an Asian American woman, you know, the, the, Oppression of gender, of race and ethnicity, you know, these are all intersecting. It's not just one form of oppression. It is all these intersect to oppress and suppress people, to subordinate people. That's how intersectionally, intersectionality has always been kind of told us that these different levels of oppression kind of intersect and oppress us in different ways. So intersectional theology has been a way of justice work and a way of liberation. These forms of uh, oppression should should not continue to oppress us because Jesus came to liberate us. That is the good news. We are not to be slaves. We are not to be indentured workers. We are not to be uh, subjugated and suppressed by dominant white, dominant society. So this intersectionality I bring into this book, Invisible. And that helps us To understand who we are, and you know, people have always have kept asking me, "Why do you? Why did you call it invisible?" I think you and I, in this podcast, we are Asian American, so we know right away this this uh, understanding of being made invisible you know white society have made us invisible I grew up in Canada but when I came to the states in 2004 racism was talked about in black and white terms and that was such a cultural shock for me because it wasn't so much like that in Canada but here in the U.S. so if you fall in between black and white Asian Americans, Latinx, um, Native Americans, then we are not talked about in this discussion of racism and so that makes us invisible when we share our experiences of racism everybody tells us that was not racism there are other factors you know they call us honorific whites there's a lot of problems with that because you know it reinforces this hierarchy of people so white is the best and black is at the bottom so we're almost white. So we have this title, honorific whites. And so if you are honorific whites, then you cannot experience racism. The other problematic term is model minority. You know, um, it was created by a white male sociologist in the 1960s. And he said, you know, Black people, if only they work just as hard as white people, I mean, as Asian Americans, then they will be just You know, they will be rich, they will go to the top schools, everything will be okay. Black people stopped complaining. So we became this model minority and in a way that wedged us, they, they put a wedge between us and all the other racialized group. And, you know, there is so much tension between us and African-Americans, Latinx and Native Americans. But we are not all doing well. We don't all go to the top schools. If we just go to Flushing or in different parts of the United States, people are living in poverty. People live in these rundown apartments, sometimes sharing bathrooms and sharing kitchens. We are not the modern minority, but because we were given this title, our experiences of racism or xenophobia got pushed aside because everything was okay with us. So it was problematic. So intersectionality is really bringing into focus these different levels of oppression that Asian Americans experience. And part of that, we become made invisible. When we share our experiences of oppression, of racism, of xenophobia, people just say, oh, you're just imagining, you know, I've people have told me so many times, even after I write or share them, people think I'm imagining things like this because racism is black and white and we don't fit there. So, you know, we are made invisible by this white dominant society. And the other level of invisibility is within our own Asian American communities, our culture, because of the patriarchy that exists. So if you are an ordained Asian American woman, nobody wants to hire you within an Asian American church. They will hire you if you're just a seminary student. But once you become ordained, nobody wants you because you, you know, of this patriarchy and sexism that exists within our church. So, you know, we are made invisible. So I think Asian Americans, we have this common experience. So Asian Americans get the title, you know, instantly, but non-Asian Americans don't know why I called it invisible. But the subtitle is Theology and Experience of Asian American Woman. So I try to bring in these experiences and try to develop a theology. So at the end, you know, using intersectionality as a tool because, you know, intersectionality, intersectional theology is a is a praxis theology that always leads to justice and to justice work. So, if we are made invisible, and in particular, Asian American women are made invisible within our own ethnic community, then we want to work towards a theology of visibility. And so, it's not I'm not saying only Asian American women are made invisible. There are other groups in our society that are made invisible. Those who have different sexuality, those who are oppressed because of maybe their ableism. There are many levels of invisibility. And even in scripture, when we think about the woman at the well, Or the foreign women in the Old Testament, they are made invisible. So in Ezra 9 and 10, when they come back from exile, the Israelites, they're all sitting around. What are we going to do with these foreign women? And they decided that they're going to send them away. You know, some of these foreign women were married, some of them had children. They sent them all away. So in a way, they are made invisible, even in our scripture. So many women in the Bible, not given names you know, the woman that anointed Jesus, Jesus says, you know, we will remember, you know, this will be done in memory of her. We are not given names. So I mention all these different groups of people who are made invisible. And so to work towards a theology of visibility, to say that, hey, we are all created in God's image. We are all equal in God's sight. That was um, developed using uh, a Uh, intersectional theology. So that answers your question. But to end uh, this podcast, I really want to say this theology of visibility is for all people who feel marginalized and made invisible in our society. Trans people, um, uh, you know, LGBTQ community, those who have been marginalized like Asian Americans, Native Americans, Latinx, um, African Americans, you know, God wants to lift us all up. So I use Asian terms. Well, they're particularly Korean terms. I use Uri, I use Chang, I use Chi, and I use... um, Han. So, you know, this podcast is a limited time. So if you want to learn more about these terms, please go read this book or any of my other books because I I bring them up, but maybe Udi and Chang, I bring them up more in this book. But these are four important Asian concepts that really help us to work towards a theology of visibility. And I really feel this is an important way to do theology, a liberation theology, a feminist theology, because our voices have been so marginalized, our voices have been so oppressed, this white dominant theology has been around for the last 2000 years, and we need more voices. And so, and a way to do that is to work towards a theology of visibility. So I hope that will be helpful. And I hope many people will read uh, my book or listen to my podcast. And I'm so thankful to both of you for hosting this podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me today.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Kim. It was such an honor to have you with us.
2: Thank you so much. I loved your questions, and I love this discussion. And I hope that you, young women, uh, up-and-coming scholars, and theologians, and biblical scholars, and educators, will do great and mighty work. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Even doing uh, co-hosting the podcast is doing great work. So thank you for that.